You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. to question 24 this morning, and we're just going to dive right in uh, to answer or to, to read the question and answer, and then we'll walk back through it a little bit more. If you remember, uh, we're, we've uh, the, the logical, logically, we've moved from uh, who God is to now who, what creation is, what man is, sin, the fall. And now we've come to, is, has God left us to perish in our sin and misery? And the answer is no, he's given us Christ, the mediator. And so the last question, question 23, uh, said, what offices does Christ execute as our redeemer? So what is Christ doing as our redeemer? And he is a prophet, priest, and king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. And so that lays the, the plan for the next few weeks weeks, we're looking at Christ as prophet, Christ as priest, Christ as king, his humiliation, his exaltation over the coming weeks. And so today we're coming to the office of prophet. So we're looking at what did Christ do and what does Christ do as a prophet? So let's read question 24, uh, very brief here. How doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. All right, Christ executes the office of a prophet and revealing to us by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. So that's what we're going to be speaking of this morning. But I I do want to um, uh, augment that a little bit as we look at the larger catechism. So the shorter catechism that we have here is meant for those who are new to the faith, for children, uh, this, this shorter catechism was intended as a teaching tool for those who don't know much about Christianity. The larger catechism was designed for further instruction for adults and for those training for ministry. So it's much larger, much bigger, um, and so it's going to expand on the things that are in the, in the shorter catechism. And I just want to highlight here a few things that the larger catechism has. How does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Same question. Um, and then we're going to see the answer here, but the underlying parts are some changes that it makes. Not, uh, it's augmenting. It's not changing the content, but it's uh, answering it slightly differently. Christ executes the office of a prophet and is revealing to the church in all ages. doesn't just say revealing to us, but to the church in all ages by his word and spirit. Uh, that's the same. In diverse ways of administration, the whole will of God in all things concerning their edification and salvation. So we'll make note of this later, but the shorter catechism highlights uh, Christ revealing to us God's will for salvation. And the larger catechism highlights God, uh, Christ revealing to the church in all ages, all of God's will all that we need for edification and salvation. And they're both true, uh, but the shorter catechism is highlighting the redemptive work of Christ here as he reveals to us the will of God for our salvation. Um, one thing I just want to step back and, and, and say, I meant to say a few minutes ago, when we talk about these three offices of Christ, it's kind of strange language, I think, to the uninitiated. If you're not used to hearing that or haven't thought about it, it's a strange way of speaking. And really what we're, what we're getting at is is this idea Christ is doing particular things and we're systematically parsing that apart to say, here's one thing Christ is doing. And we're going to talk about that one thing. Here's another 
related, interrelated piece of Christ's ministry. We're going to talk about that over here. And they're all grounded in the Old Testament. So they're grounded in what God was doing through his people from the Old Testament, from the beginning of the promise of the first gospel of the gospel, the first promise in Genesis three, and it's continuing on. And so we see these offices in the old Testament. There were prophets. We'll talk about this in a moment. There were priests and there were Kings and it's laying the groundwork for what the Messiah would be like, what God's anointed would be like when he came. And so we're looking back to the old Testament for, to see how scripture speaks of what Christ would do and how Christ fulfilled it. And so it's a systematic uh, piece for us to to look at Christ's work from different angles, but it's also a biblical piece for us to connect Christ to, uh, to the Old Testament as well, seeing he's the fulfillment of all things. So it's, it's important and a helpful way for us to think about Christ's work. Not the only way, but a helpful way. Um, okay, let's, before we get into this, let's, let's highlight a couple scripture passages that speak to this. This first one's a little lengthy, um, but you should be, you're, you're probably familiar with it. This is Luke 4. And he, Christ Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So interesting. He, Jesus was asked, as was customary, the, the men were asked to stand up and, and read parts of scripture in the synagogue. And so Jesus, it's his day to read. So he gets up to read, but he doesn't just read the next piece that he's supposed to read. He goes to find this passage. And here's what the passage in Isaiah says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah. And this coming Messiah was to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of the Lord's fa uh, favor. So this, Jesus says, this is me. I'm the one who is, who is uh, foretold by Isaiah. And I'm here to proclaim the work of a prophet, right? I'm here to proclaim good news to you. Acts 3, we're going to come back to these themes. Um, so we don't leave, we're not leaving these totally in, in the past when we move on. But uh, Acts 3 augs, augments this. So Peter is preaching in Acts 3. Yes, is that a question? Okay. Yeah. I was from the miracle was, you know, they read these scriptures on account. You knew. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it looks, it looks like to me, it says he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was, uh, where it was written. So uh, it looks to me, um, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. It wasn't, he, he unrolled the scroll and read, which would make me think he's reading the next piece. Uh, it says he went and looked for this passage to read it. Now, is it, is it the one that was up for reading for that day? Possibly. I don't know for sure. Um, that's possible. Um, but it seems to me there's an intentional aspect for choosing this passage. Yeah, that's a good question. And there is uncertainty there. Um, we can't know completely for sure. So we go to Acts. This is uh, the apostolic preaching of Peter, preaching to Jews. And he's quoting here from Deuteronomy. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. 
You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And he goes on basically to say, and this prophet has come and this prophet was Jesus. So this prophet, and when we look at Deuteronomy, I believe if you read Deuteronomy, our, the ESV will capitalize P, where Moses says, there's a prophet who is coming after me, the great prophet. And so the Jews were looking for this great prophet, the one greater than Moses. Can you imagine that? Moses was the greatest of all prophets. He got to see God in the top of the mountain. He saw God, spoke to him as it were face to face, scripture says. But there's a greater prophet who speaks for uh, to us from God, even in a, in a greater way than Moses did. And so Peter is, is telling the Jews who knew this passage, who are waiting for this prophet, this prophet is here. Christ is here. Uh, two other brief ones. Uh, John 14, these things I have spoken, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is teaching, but he says, when I leave, actually, you're going to remember a lot more of what I said because the Holy Spirit's going to help you. You don't really connect all the dots right now, but you will when the Holy Spirit comes. You will remember my word. And then John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the spirit is coming and he's now giving new revelation. He will tell the apostles, not only what Jesus said, but he will give them new things, but he will speak only that which Christ tells him to speak. So he is now speaking Christ's words to the apostles so that all of us might have God's word, Christ's word uh, from Christ himself. All right, so there's some, some scripture. We're coming back to these themes, um, but let's now go a little bit more uh, systematically through this, um, through the question and some of the, the language of the question. I'll pause here, though, for questions uh, from you all. We haven't even defined what a prophet is yet, so we're just, we're letting all that hang for a moment. Okay, so let, let's start here with what is a prophet? And this, again, as I mentioned, this, um, this is rooted in the Old Testament, rooted in the function of a prophet from the Old Testament. Um, so we, we saw Deuteronomy 18, where Moses, God told Moses, there will be a greater prophet, the consummate prophet who will come. So be ready and look for him. And the Old Testament prophet had a couple of functions. First of all, and primarily that we think of, is the, the prophet in the Old Testament represented God to the people. So Moses is the great example. He went up on the mountain, received from God, and he went to the people and spoke for God. So this is what we think of a prophet most generically. He's speaking to the people from God, representing God verbally. Uh, so speech was primary, but we also see in the Old Testament prophets that actions were important as well. The prophet represented not just verbally, but in an action sense. So you can look at Hosea, for example, Hosea marrying Gomer. That was a prophetic act, prophetic uh, revealing of God through his marriage to the prostitute. God told him to do this as a picture of God's marriage to Israel, the nation who whores after other gods, as uh, the prophets say regularly. 
Um, and then you can also think of Jeremiah smashing the clay jar um, in front of all the elders and the people. And this is a demonstration, again, of God's, uh, God's revealing something to his people. So it's primarily speak, but all, uh, speech, but also actions we see in the Old Testament. There's also another component in the Old Testament where the prophet is representing the people to God. So it's not just God to the people, but the prophet represents people to God, where he's inter, um, uh, interceding for the people. Um, he's taking the people's requests to God. Uh, that's, that's de-emphasized here in prophet, and we're really going to pick that up in the office of priest. But in the Old Testament, we do see that, although it's not highlighted here in the confession, in the, in the shorter catechism. So we won't be, we'll pick that up. Uh, that'll be picked up next week with the priestly function of Christ. So the question is this, is supernatural revelation, um, is it necessary for the office of a prophet? So I'm, I'm going to put, put that to you all. Does, does new supernatural revelation, is, is that necessary for one to be called a prophet? Okay. Right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's good. And what else? Anybody else want to add to that? I saw Jim. I don't know if you you have a, a thought. I saw you shaking your head. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I, I would agree. Often we think of the prophet as the one who's speaking new, uh, new revelation to God's people. Um, but that's not essential to the role of prophet. Um, as, as we heard, I do believe the prophet also is expounding God's word that's already there. So it, it's actually amazing if you go to the Old Testament prophets, the books of the prophets, um, their words become scripture. They were uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit to say exactly what was right and true from God. But oftentimes it's not thus saith the Lord. That's often through there. It is often thus saith the Lord. So the Lord tells them something to tell the people. But many places, they're simply expounding the promises of the covenant. They're expounding the gospel. They're expounding the threats of the covenant curses under the Mosaic covenant. They're expounding the things that are already there in the law and maybe in previous prophets. And they're, they're reminding God's people. So they're not always given new revelation, although in the Old Testament, they often are. I don't think, I can't think of an example of any of the prophets that haven't received new revelation, uh, but that's not all that they're doing. And then, the, so that's key, as John mentioned, when we come to the New Testament, when we think of what prophecy is, is prophecy um, new revelation from God? Well, I think it is in part, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, one of the, the classic works on preaching is from the 1500s. Uh, a, a British uh, pastor, William Perkins, wrote a book called The Art of Prophesying. And he's not speaking about how to get new revelations from God. He's simply saying, how do you proclaim God's word? How do you prophesy as one who is being faithful to the text that is already there? So uh, we can use this term prophet in a broader sense, but also in a narrow sense. So I just want us to be aware of that reality. Yeah. Right, right. That's right. So we will, we'll get to it in a, in a few moments, but there is a uh, 
prophet-like function still in the church. This church is given a prophet function, but we don't um, name people prophets in part because in our world, that's confusing what that means. Uh, 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 William Perkins would say every preacher is a prophet, actually. He would call all the, call all the preachers prophets, um, which in our day and age wouldn't fly very well because people would think crazy things are happening at Redeemer if we called, you know, uh, Pastor Wright, the, the prophet of the day. Um, so we don't use that terminology because it's confusing. Um, but I don't think it's wrong to say, hey, there's a prophet function happening here in the proclamation of God's word, which we'll, co- which we'll come back to in a moment. But there, as far as offices in the church, there's not an office of prophet. There's an office of elder that has that prophet-like function um, associated with it, I think. Yeah, John. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so there seems to be a general understanding that the prophecy was expounding from the word of God. That's right. It was the new revelation that found its way actually into scripture. Right. That's right. Yep. That's very good. Very good. Um let's see. Anything else here? Let's let's move to the next point here that comes up. Uh, well, I, well, first, just to connect the dots, the Old Testament prophet, Christ is that consummate prophet, though. Christ is the one who reveals God to man. And so we can't miss that point. That's what the whole question is about. Christ is the prophet. He's the one that Moses only was a, a shadow of. The one of all the other prophets were a shadow of. Christ comes to speak to us from God. And so we look at this act of revealing. Uh, prophecy is this act of revealing God to his people. And this, this revealing function is primarily, as we're talking, to speak. Speak. Speaking God's truths to God's people, and God uses that to reveal Himself to His people. Um, we also think of Christ as, as the prophet doing things that are prophetic. So His His miracles are prophetic acts. It's revealing God through actions. His compassion, His death on the cross, in a sense, is a prophetic act. It's proclaiming God's love for His people. Uh, we don't often think of it that way, but it is. Um, and so there's also, there's more than just the speaking aspect, although we primarily emphasize that. I want to read a few passages that highlight Christ's speaking function. And John highlights this. So most of this comes from the, the gospel of John, John 8, 38. I speak, Jesus says, of what I have seen with my father, John 12, 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does uh, who dwells in me does his works. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, the only begotten God who is at the Father's side. He, the begotten one, the Son, has made him, the Father, known. And then we see in Hebrews 1, God has spoken to us by his Son. So this, this uh, is said over and over. Christ says this over and over. I speak from the Father. And this is, remember, the mediator, the God-man. It's not saying that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, doesn't know what's going on. But he's saying the mediator, the God incarnate, the fleshly person who's walking on earth, he's speaking what God tells him so that we now, can, as humans, can come to the Father. So he's the prophet. He's saying what God has told him to say. He's saying what his father needs him to say, that we would be saved. And so the emphasis we see is Jesus, the mediator, revealing to us the father. 
And it's fully compatible with what our confession says, or the Shorter Catechism says, where Christ is revealing to us the will of God for our salvation. Because our salvation is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. That's the way John speaks of salvation. We come to the Father. That's salvation. That is what eternal life is, to know the Father, to have communion with the Father through the Son. So that's what the Shorter Catechism is saying. The will of God for our salvation is that you might know the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. This wonderful Trinitarian gift. So this act of revealing is Christ speaking. Christ speaking. Uh, let's go to the object of revelation. Who is, who, uh, is Christ revealing to? To whom is Christ revealing? Um, and the, question, the answer in the Shorter Catechism is us. Uh, it's assuming the church is reading this document. God's people, God's redeemed people. Christ is speaking to us, you and me. The larger catechism, as we saw a few moments ago, the larger catechism says to the church in all ages. So what that does now is, is it make, makes us take a step back and say, no, this is not just post-incarnate Christ that's the prophet. It's actually saying pre-incarnate Christ is the prophet. The church in all ages includes the people of God in the Old Testament. Israel was the church. And so what the larger catechism does is says it's not just post-resurrection or post-incarnation where Christ reveals. He's always been revealing. Uh, a great place to see this is in 1 Peter chapter 1. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So he says the prophets under the Old Testament had the spirit of Christ in them so that they would know what to proclaim to the people. So Christ was revealing to the Old Testament prophets what to reveal, what to say concerning even himself. And they would be waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the ultimate prophet to come in the flesh. Um, I'll, I'll stop there for a moment. Uh, comments, questions? Exactly. I had that in here and I deleted it because I didn't want to go down that path. But yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> It's a great point, right? So this is First uh, Peter two. Later on in that same um, that same book that we just read from, First Peter two, where Christ um, and there's lots of lots of controversy over this passage, but I think the only way it makes sense of it is Christ was speaking through Noah to those in his day, proclaiming judgment that was coming. Um, so because Christ uh, through the, this preaching, I, I can't remember. Christ preaching to the spirits in bondage or something like that uh, in the days of Noah. So it's Christ speaking through Noah that judgment is coming. So that's a, a great example where practically um, we see Christ preaching. Okay, the object of revelation, let's look at the means of revealing. How does Christ reveal? How does the prophet reveal to us? And the, the little phrase in our shorter catechism is by his word and spirit, by his word and spirit. And this is a key phraseology for us reformed people. Word and spirit, word and spirit. We come back to this all the time. 
uh, these two essential elements. The way Christ works, the way Christ proclaims in the church today is by word and spirit. Christ's prophesying office is exercised through, exercised through word and spirit. I went through the catechism, uh, both catechisms and our confession, and I believe there were 22 sections that referred to word and spirit in the same section. Sometimes it's side by side like this. Sometimes it's separated by a few words. Sometimes it's separated by a sentence. But the concept is there where word and spirit 22 times in the confession of faith, the larger catechism, the shorter catechism, Catechism, where word and spirit are, are joined conceptually, where this, uh, these two realities is what Christ uses to make himself known, to proclaim to us today. This is the means of revealing. So let's talk about this for a moment. The word, the word, it says his word, Christ's word, the word of Christ is what is being used for Christ to make himself known or the will of God for salvation. Um, as the, the catechism says. Christ's word, and we read this earlier, Christ tells his disciples, spoke many things to them and many things to the people. And Christ says, you don't remember it all. When I leave, I'll send the Holy Spirit who will remind you what I said. And then he goes on to say, no, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and not just remind you everything I said, but will tell you more, things I can't even tell you now. But it's still my word. It's still my word that you have. And that's what we ultimately have inscripturated is the words of Christ, Yes, the word of God, we say that. But technically, theologically, we can say this is Christ's word. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation, this is Christ's word for his people. The prophet telling his people the will of God for our salvation. And so the word is essential for the Christian. And we'd say it's essential for the unbeliever to come to Christ as well. The word is central. Christ's words. But we also see the Holy Spirit is a part of preserving, bringing to fruition this document that we have now, this incredible document of Christ's words compiled for us. The Spirit was a part of that, but it's not just that the Spirit's involved in. The Spirit is involved in then making this external objective word efficacious internally. So we have the external word and the internal Spirit. So there are these, there's this external and internal realities that come together in the proclamation of the word, in the reading of God's word. If we have just God's word without God's spirit, there's nothing for us. There's no spiritual benefit for us. And the spirit does not work apart from the word, apart from the truths contained therein, apart from the word of Christ. So these two things are necessary for us to see uh, the truth and understand what is true. Um, what a, f a number of concepts I want to just make sure we, we get on the table here, and, and I'm sure we have some good conversation that'll come out of this. Uh, one way, though, through the word and spirit, Christ brings his word to us is, is immediately, im without, mediate, without a mediator. So Christ does speak, has spoken immediately. And when we think of that, we think of Old Testament prophets, Christ is speaking to them. Uh, we see Christ, maybe uh, pre-incarnate appearances, some Christophanies in the Old Testament. Christ appears. Uh, Christ is speaking immediately, with not through mediators, not through people. Um, his, his earthly ministry was Christ's immediate proclamation of his word. So he's not using a mediator. Again, Christ himself is saying it. Uh, Post-ascension appearances to John, wrote the book of Revelation, to um, uh, let's see, to Paul on the road to Damascus. These are immediate revelations of Christ to his people. Um, 
But then the normal mode of revelation, and we would say now today the only mode of revelation, is mediated, mediate revelation. And so we see when angels are speaking, Christ is speaking immediately. Um, prophets, when pastors um, preach, teachers teach, parents explain to their children, this is Christ mediating his word, his truth to his people. So he's speaking immediately through his word to people and through other people as well. So, um, so that's an important concept. Is Christ speaking immediately, which is what he's done in the past, but we'd say now Christ is speaking immediately through his word and then through other people as they teach and expound and explain the word to us. Um, but the emphasis as we go through the teaching of the Reformation primarily, uh, or, or especially, but really through the, the church as a whole, the, the emphasis on Christ's function as a prophet comes down to the preaching of God's word. And so this is where the church has a, has a particularly important role to play in Christ's function as prophet. And I want to read, let's see, I want to read two things for you, and, and this will be good, probably good fodder for conversation. First is the Shorter Catechism, which will come to it um, in, a, in a while now, question 89. So how is the word made effectual to salvation? So we have the word, this, God's word. How is this made effectual to salvation? How does this reveal to us the will of God for our salvation? And how is that made effectual? The word of God, or the, sorry, the spirit of God. So stop. We have word and spirit, right? You see them right here side by side. Again, the, how is the word made effectual? By the spirit. The spirit of God makes the reading but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of salvation. And salvation is this umbrella term. Uh, yes, convincing and converting sinners of building them up in holiness and comfort. That's ongoing in our lives. So God uses the reading of the word, but especially the preaching to build us up, to grow us in faith unto salvation. And again, salvation is not just that first moment here of trusting Christ. This is the whole Christian life and the final goal ultimately of being with Christ in glory. So how is the word made effectual? The spirit makes it effectual. So word and spirit. But I want to highlight that, especially the preaching, especially the preaching of the word. God has, God uses, and as, as Paul writes, the folly of what we preach to save those who will believe. This crazy thing we do where we stand up and try to say what, is, what God's word is saying, expounding God's word with all of its implications for our lives, for how to live, for what to believe, what to know, trying to make sense of all those implications for God's people. There's something happening there that is different from merely me sitting down reading God's word. And um, one other, uh, so I'm going to go to one other um, aspect here. Don't read it yet. Ugh, I shouldn't have put it up there. Don't read it yet. Excuse me. Um, so this is the second Helvetic confession. This is the second Helvetic confession. What does is, what is Helvetic refer to? Does anybody know? Swiss, that's right. Um, so I guess the font Helvetica means it's a Swiss font. Is that what that means? Something from Switzerland. So yes, this was a, a Swiss confession. Uh, I can't, is it higher? Heinrich Bullinger that wrote it? Does anybody know? Okay, I think it's him, him who wrote it. 15, uh, 1562 and 1564, it was revived, revised. Um, and it's talking about the same reality. And it's going to make a shocking claim uh, that we'll unpack in a moment. I'm going to read this to you. Second Helvetic Confession from 1564. 
The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful and that neither any other word of God is to be invented nor is to be expected from heaven. And that now the word itself, which is preached, is to be regarded. The word itself, which is preached, is to be regarded. Not the minister that preaches. For even if he be evil and a sinner, nevertheless, the word of God remains still true and good. There's a lot there. Um, But that first sentence is the provocative one. And you'll hear people quote this often. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Now, we're not saying that it's new revelation from God, but we're saying this is what the Spirit uses to bring us the truth of the Word of God. When when preaching is faithful to the Word of God, we can say it is the Word of God. This is what the Spirit uses to grow us and to convert sinners. Um. Let's see. Uh, so when, just, just a few comments about this. When this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful. So we come, and it says in a minute, we come not to hear a preacher preach. We come not to hear a man speak uh, of his own ideas or what he wants to say. We come to hear somebody expound what is true to expound what scripture says, to explain it to us. But it says, neither any other word is to be invented. So there's no other word of God coming to us invented today. And neither uh, can, we be, can we expect another word from heaven. We have the word of God here. We have the final revelation until Christ returns. And then I love the, this next uh, section, that now the word itself, which is preached, is to be regarded. We come to listen to the word We come to be expectant as we sit under the word to say, what does Christ have for me today? What is Christ telling me today through his word? We're not coming to listen to the preacher, right? So catch that. It's the the word of God is to be regarded, not the minister that preaches. We don't come to regard the preacher. We don't come to listen to the preacher. We come to listen to God's word as the preacher faithfully expounds it. And it says, even if he be evil and a sinner, nevertheless, the word of God still, it remains still true and good. And so um, this gets to the ministry of people who like later um, uh, apostatize, who turn away from the faith. We say, what about their ministry? Like, was it all a failure? And we can say, yeah, it was, it condemned their soul. And the more they preach the gospel, the more they stand condemned. But yet it's the external word that, the spirit uses to convince and to convert sinners. Even if it's preached by someone who is evil, even if it's preached by somebody who's unregenerate, even if someone later um, removes themselves from the ministry, uh, is found to be a great sinner as we all are, um, that does not nullify the objective word. Now, wherever the word is not faithful to scripture, or whether, whether, uh, whenever preaching is not faithful to scripture, yes, we disregard that. We have no authority to say anything from the pulpit that God's word does not say. We would not have necessarily known, though, that preaching wasn't God honoring and staying with his word before we all read. That's right. That's right. At this time. No, that's exactly right. And so, yeah, the, the before 
we could own our own private versions of the Bible before we could read and check God's word. Yeah, there, it was much more um, reliance upon preaching that we had. We had to trust it uh, to a greater extent. Um, and we didn't know if the preaching had aired. But we see a great example even in the New Testament of the Bereans who whenever they, you know, whatever they heard, they, they verified with the scriptures to make sure it was true. Whatever they heard from the prophets, they made sure it was consistent with God's word already revealed. And so we can build up our understanding of God's word, even if, we're, even if we are illiterate. Um, even children can know the truth of God's word. But that, that's where it's so important. Uh, we saw the, the Helvetic Confession says we need to have preachers lawfully called. And so what they're doing is they're putting this, this um, importance upon making sure we have ministers who know what they're doing, who are trained, who know God's word, who know even the languages, um, who can be faithful expositors of scripture. That's important, especially in a day when there was greater illiteracy. Is that, is that addressing your, what you're saying? And I think it's a great point that you make. And we are so blessed to, be, to have so many copies of God's word um, and have it so easily accessible. But I do think we need to be careful because it's, it's so easy to go online and find incredible sermons online. And to say, you know, I go to church for the fellowship, but my, you know, real spiritual edification is, is from my favorite podcast, my favorite pastor that preaches online. And yes, the Spirit does use that stuff in our lives, no doubt about it. But there's something about the physical presence and having a pastor who knows you and loves you and cares about you and knows what's going on in your life and the life of your people and can address your particular situation. And that's so important to a biblically faithful church uh, and, and the Christian life. So yes, absolutely. Sub- supplement with you know, your favorite preachers. That's fantastic. Um, but we come not to regard the preacher, to regard God's word. So it should never be about personalities. Um, it should be about coming to God's word. So even if, Pastor Wright talks about like, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I lay in, he'll talk about, I laid an egg on Sunday. Like, Okay, you might think that, right? Um, but even when we feel that way, um, or maybe you feel that way about us, right? I get it. I totally, I, I wouldn't, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I would totally, I totally agree with this. I wouldn't walk across the street to hear myself preach. I would not. But even still, even still, Christ's word is there, and that's what we come to listen to. When, when I'm moaning about how bad my sermon's going to be on Sunday, Erica will always say, Jason, if you read God's word, that's what people need. If you stand up and read God's word, that's all they need, right? So that, that is a great comfort to me. And because we're here not to hear the preacher, not to hear the personality, but to hear God's word. So come expectantly. And yes, we are, we are um, full of foibles and we have our own quirks and our personality. You know, things come through from time to time that maybe drive you bonkers, but we come for God's word. So be patient with me and come for God, not for me. Yeah. Doesn't scripture also affirm that? And I think it's in passages from Paul saying, oh, whether false pretense are true, Christ is preaching that I rejoice. That's right. Not speaking there of people misrepresenting the gospels and basically doing it, but for bad motives. For the wrong motives. That's right. That's right. Also, Apollos seemed to also be a celebrity preacher, Mm -hmm. but he was like, don't let this get in the way that the focus should be. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Very good. Very good. What else? Uh, sorry, another question. Yeah. Was during the New Testament or the Old Testament time when prophecy was used, was it understood sometimes as just preaching what God has already revealed? Mm-hmm. Or was it 
Um, both, uh, but it was understood that there were, there were many prophets that we don't know. There were schools of prophets, uh, which seemed to be something like divinity schools of training in God's word so that people can go explain God's word to God's people. So we have hints of these in the Old Testament and then even in extra biblical literature that there were a lot of prophets that we have no idea. We don't have names, we don't know them, but that was their function was to go explain God's word. Um, but then there also were others that did bring revelation from God. And that's where um, you have, there were also uh, provisions in the law for testing a prophet. And if they're now speaking things that don't come to pass, that aren't true, then you, you, you stone them um, because they're false prophets. But if they're speaking the truth from God, then you, you revere them and, and you hear them, even if it's a new revelation. Yeah. even though the minister or whomever is speaking God's word, it's not selective and ignoring other aspects of God's word that may be less palatable for Mm -hmm. us to hear, like his wrath, like sin, which we seem to have gotten away from in many churches or even in our society. Right, so how do we kind of um, gauge preaching that may be emphasizing some things, but leaving out other pieces of, of the whole counsel of God. And Paul says to elders in Ephesus, I wanted to know, uh, I wanted to preach to you the whole counsel of God, everything that is true. And so, yeah, I, I do think the, 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 the church as a whole, and particularly the elders, but the church as a whole has an obligation for the pastors. And if, if you say, hey, you haven't preached on sin and like, I haven't heard you say the word sin in six months. Like, do you really believe that? And, and maybe it's an oversight. Maybe, you know, it's an error. But to say, hey, I, I think we're missing that in, in the preaching here. I, I think it's okay to kindly bring these things up to the attention, maybe of other elders first and then the pastors. Um, but yes, I do think the congregation has a role in making sure the preaching is faithful um, and making sure we are preaching what is true in God's word. So, um, yeah, we all should be evaluating that. Um, not, not, to the, not to the point of being overly critical of everything, because we can be that way and be overly critical. Say, oh, I don't like how he used that phrase. That phrase isn't exactly right, and technically that's wrong. And we'll, um, That's me. Uh, I can be overly critical of everything. Um, but we need to also sit humbly under it while at the same time being sensitive to, to these areas of oversight. Um, the final point that I, we're not going to spend much time on is the content of Revelation. We, we've touched on it and mentioned it. But the Shorter Catechism says the will of God for our salvation. That's the center point of Christ's uh, work as a prophet today is that we would know the will of God for our salvation. And again, it's not just coming to faith. This is the salva- idea of salvation is our whole Christian life. We were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Scripture speaks of it that way. And so the will of God for our salvation is how to walk in newness of life, how to live ongoing as a Christian. And yes, how we are saved from sin by looking to Christ by faith. And then we will be saved on the final day when Christ comes. Uh, as we saw, the larger catechism talks about uh, things in a, in a little bit broader scope. Um, and that's fine. They're not contradictory. This one's just emphasizing the redemptive work of Christ and the larger catechisms um, speaking more generally of the prophetic role of Christ. Um, but it's an astounding thing that as we come to God's word, anytime, whether we're at home in the morning before the day starts or at the end of the day as it closes, whether we're opening up in God's, uh, with God's people in worship, when we open God's word, we come expectantly because Christ uses this in our lives. It is Christ speaking to us. 
We can say, this is the word of God. This is the word of Christ. This is Christ's word for you. And so we know as the spirit is joined to the word, it is at work. God is at work in our lives. So we come expectantly to God's word. It's not an old, dry, dusty book, but it is the book of life. All right, so much more to say, um, but we'll, I'll leave it there with that encouragement. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the great prophet who has revealed to us the way to the Father, has revealed to us our sin and even more his greatness and his mercy for us. Oh, Father, we thank you for Christ exercising this office, Christ speaking to us today. May we now, as may you be pleased now as we go into uh, the assembly of the people, that by your word and spirit, you would build us up more and more in Christ, that you would use Christ's word, Christ's spirit to make us more faithful and to draw sinners into salvation. We thank you, Father, for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.